Good morning, everybody. My name is Aaron Stern, lead pastor here. If any of you are brand new with us, such a joy to worship the living God together, study the scriptures, engage with the people of God, uh, which is so necessary. Uh, our word for 2023 as a church is the word practice. If you've missed these last several weeks, uh, we have jumped into what that means, and then we'll be jumping into uh, a particular practice at different times in the year. Right now, we're in the middle of the practice of community, uh, the what I like to call a keystone practice. This Put this in place, and other things fall into place uh, based on the pra- uh, 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 keystone practices or keystone habits, excuse me, from uh, the book Power of Habit. So, highly encourage everybody, if you are not in a city group, to get into a city group. But we want to take some time here today talking uh, again about what it looks like to practice community. And uh, so I've invited uh, my friend, a part of our house, uh, Dr. Hud McWilliams, to join me. And we're going to just have a little bit of a conversation around community. And um, uh, Dr. Hud is, can I share your age? It doesn't change it. (laughs) If you could change it, go ahead. All right. uh, 79, turns 80 this year. Uh, Maybe even more impressive than that, because that takes no effort, it just happens, uh, is that he's been married to his wife, Nancy, for 57 years. And and, uh, it's such a joy to know him and his wife, uh, some of his families here as well, and um, before we jump in, and, and basically what I'm going to try and do is we're going to have a little conversation, but really I just want to get out of the way. So um, we want to hear from uh, your experiences throughout the year. I want to read and start with a passage of Scripture found in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 14, where it says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every kind of teaching, every wind of teaching, excuse me, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I just want to start with this undergirding framework that, one, community is not optional. It is not optional in the family of God as a follower of Jesus. It is necessary for our growth. The reason we're talking about practice is that we would practice so that we would become more like Jesus, shaped into the image and the likeness of Jesus. That doesn't happen on our own. We need other people speaking truth and love into our lives in order that we might grow. Not be infants, but actually mature in life. The second thing is is that community is a way of living. In other words, it's not just something you do once a week. Sunday morning isn't like, oh great, I got my community in, check the box, now I'm done, I'll see you next week. Community is the way in which we live We might gather together, we need gathering, we need repetition and rhythm. There is no formation without repetition. Um, But it is a way of living, not just something we do as an add-on to something else in our lives. But this is where I want us to kind of spend some time here today, and that is talking about the reality that community takes work. 
We don't love that idea. We'd love for it just to be natural, and sometimes that happens. But, and there's times in life when that happens, and then there's other times in life when it doesn't happen. So the first, and I'm just going to go through this quickly, I mentioned this a few weeks ago at the end of the practice series, is that a couple of things can get in the way of our practices and undermine them. The first one is our busyness. So maybe a barrier to the entry into community as being part of our lives is time, right? Amen. (laughs) So uh, sometimes you hear this, I just don't have time for a city group. What would you say to that? You have the same 168 hours in a week that everybody else does. And I like the passage that comes out of Isaiah somewhere, and it says, Isaiah 28, I think, and he says, uh, people who believe in Jesus, it's the end of that sentence, will not be disturbed. And the word disturbed actually means will not be in a hurry. Mm. And I, I think one of the things we forget is that Jesus was never in a hurry, but always on time. So our culture has squeezed out all the space. And one of the things community demands and relationship demands for that matter is space. And I think that's what the disciplines or the practices are primarily for is to give us some space, space to be with God and space to be with ourselves and then ultimately space to be with others in community. Which means we have to create space. Sometimes uh, it's, it's not going to happen naturally. Our worlds and our schedules fill up. The other barrier that I, to entry that I want us to talk about and the work that is required for community to happen, and this is where I want us to kind of land for the next uh, bit, is barrier. We might, we might say, okay, I've cleared my schedule. I've got some extra space. I'm joining a city group today. Found my, found my group but then you find yourself in that group. Maybe you've tried a city group before and you find like, I went, but there was no intimacy. There was no closeness. The depth of relationship wasn't there. So, so I want us to talk a little bit about um, how, we can, how we can end up being around people but still be lonely, right? So um, the goal of relationship is to be known and loved. So... Um, you want to talk a little bit about uh, what it looks like or what it, what, what's the goal and maybe some of the things that keep us from experiencing the depth of relationship that uh, is the goal of community? Well, I, th- I think one of, the, one of the major things that trip us up is we want, we think if we have a good relationship, we have no conflict. And I would argue that the nature of relationship is conflict-laden or conflict-central in a sense. Uh, Not caustic or toxic conflict, but the fact that we're different, nothing else, is brings conflict to the fore. It's what makes us have to work hard at connecting and being present. And you and I talked a little bit about about how hard it is to uh, not, not have a smooth running connection with other people. So I was just thinking while we were singing this morning, it's fun to be in a group and sing, but you can be totally isolated. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be, nobody has to know you. You don't have to be exposed. You don't have, there's no vulnerability in that. But the minute that you become known and that you show up in some way, uh, then all of a sudden uh, the cost shows up. And I think we want a shortcut to that. So we want to go back to conflict-free. And I would argue that... <clears throat> The healthier we are, 
the more comfortable we'll be with that, those differences and the conflicts that they bring, and then we'll gain skill in learning how to love one another. And learning how to love one another really is learning how to forgive. So, yeah, right. Think of all the letters uh, of Paul or others in the New Testament, and they're regularly saying, forgive one another, bear with one another, uh, meaning <laughs> they did something to offend you, uh, they're annoying, uh, right? They, and so over and over and over again, he's giving these relational instructions to fight for unity, fight for love, and to not ghost one another, uh, Quit on one another. <laughs> Let your offense drive you, drive you apart. I've been in a lot of groups, simply because of my age, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. And some of them worked, some of them didn't. You know, I had a great experience in being trained in the, I had a really bad group, bad therapy group. And my professor, after I whined for a while, he looked at me and he said, some groups are like that. He just kind of walked out. And so I thought, well, that's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things I've been thinking about when I, when I think about how Jesus did his community, he had 12 disciples, and one of them was Judas Iscariot. Every group's got that in it. And I think we expect to have a group free from those mm. kind of conflicts, those kind of betrayals, those kind of uh, outliers, if you will. But that's not life. And mm. so what God says to us is, you know, he says it in the Sermon on the Mount, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I think that boils down to if we want to be allowed to be human, we mm -hmm. must learn to accept the humanness of others. Mm -hmm. And that's the conflict. And it would help us in marriage if we would do that because too often we're asking the other person to play God in our lives. And I think the act of forgiveness, maybe this is one way to say it, is to forgive the other person for, for not being God. Mm. <laughs> you know, to allow them not to play that role any longer. And then it seems like to me that, that you can actively minister to them, carry their burdens. Galatians 6 says we carry one another's loads, a burden, an overload, and we need that. That's what, that's what groups are for, and that's what makes them difficult because I think what we do, we want to carry it alone in the Western world. We're so independent here. So, okay, talk a little bit about forgiving people for not being God. <laughs> Well, uh, God gives us a sense of identity, and he, and he does it this way. He, does it, he did it with his son. Uh, so he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And often I say this to parents, don't, don't say you're proud of your children. Say that you delight in them, because that's what God's saying to his own son. If you are proud of them, you set them up. If uh, you set them up in a praise kind of way, only God's worthy of praise. Delight in your kid. And here's the key. God delights in you. And if he delights in you, you can let somebody else off the hook because otherwise you're going to expect them to delight in you the same way God does. Mm. And, and we have a hard time doing that. <laughs> I mean, I've been married for a long time and I still have a hard time doing that. And I'm wild about the woman I'm married to. So it just keeps coming, right? It, the test is, is there constantly. And I, I think we want other people uh, to play that God role in our lives. And we set them up and we set ourselves up and we're not 
human then. We're not able to make mistakes and we're not able to fail and we're not able to grow. And so the passage you started off with, he says, speak the truth in love. So you've got to be truthful, but you do it in a loving manner. And then he says, grow up. And it's fascinating that the next aspect is, he says, grow up in all dimensions of life. Mm-hmm. So you can't ignore anything. And, and we are relational creatures. We're made to be in relationship. It just seems like to me that uh, we're wanting a perfect relationship quite often when God wants us to, mm-hmm. to come alongside of him and learn how to love one another. And you can't do that without forgiveness. So, so what I hear you saying is, like, we need community. We need each other. But we can't think, I need you to give me something that they can't. Right? That's to right. give, for me to go to you and expect you to delight in me uh, even though you can, to delight in me in the way that you can't because it's the kind of delight that only can come from the Father. Yes, and I'm going to let you down. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to get in your way. I'm going to be late. I'll do something, right? Some betrayal point, some, some place. You, I, I don't think you can be in any relationship of substance and not have hurt. Mm. It's just the nature of our, our being limited. And, and God loves us through all that. Uh, just like he accepted both sons, you know, the son that, the young son that ran away and thought he could lose his sonship and the old, older son that thought he could earn it. Neither were right. They were both just sons and they had trouble, mm-hmm. both of them had trouble mm-hmm. embracing that truth. And I think we have trouble that, that way. So if you want an invitation into a group, it's that God's already wild about you. <laughs> and now he wants you to share what he sees with others mm-hmm. so that you can grow and they can grow. So, so it's not that it's a, okay, I got to do that first before I jump into community. Right. But I want to sit here for just a moment. Like how, how, what would you say for somebody who says, yeah, I don't, I don't feel that. I don't know that from God. I don't feel like he delights in me. Yeah. Or, or I don't know what that means. Or, you know, obviously we get so impacted. Uh, you're, you've, You've been a pastor, counselor, uh, professor, so you've kind of seen this from all different angles. Um, and, so the, and so we get impacted by families of origin. Uh, maybe our biological dad didn't, didn't delight in us, so therefore we have a hard time understanding God delighting in us. What, talk a little bit more about what it looks like to engage that personally so that then we can go to community and ask of it to give what it can actually give. There you go. And I think I like the way you said it at the end, to give what it can, not demand that it give more than it can. It's mm-hmm. not God. The group can't be God, but it can be, it can be a vehicle through which you can fellowship with God and he fellowship with you. But go back to your original comment. Uh, the sense of self, the sense of identity is axiomatic or central or seminal to this conversation because most of us go looking for affirmation from somebody. I need you to affirm me for me to be okay. And whole people, healthy people, recognize that I can't get my wholeness any other place than from God himself. Well, that gets tangled up. I've been in the church my whole life, and it was forever before I began to really discover that my identity was purely rooted in the grace of God. That he, it's pure grace that gives me a sense of self and allows me to be free and 
I don't have to earn it. I don't have to posture for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you threw that thing up there, that four square thing. Oh yeah, last week. And it said, and one of the things is where where we're hidden. You know that we hide. So that's part of our posturing. And then some things we're blind to. And I think we posture a lot of times, hoping that. And our expectation is that this will meet my need now. Mm. Instead of realizing God's already met your need, let's start back there and walk into this group taking the risk that I need to take. So if you'll indulge me for just a second. I will indulge you. Here we go. <laughs> we got a minute or two. <clears throat> These are four sentences regarding relationships that might help illustrate this just a little bit. You will never understand the other person unless they choose to reveal themselves to you. Mm. So I, there's no way I can even understand my wife unless she chooses mm -hmm. to reveal herself to me. And a lot of marriages, I've done lots of marriages, weddings. <laughs> just one for just yourself. Just one marriage. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> this is just hazardous being up here, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and the, Almost everybody has a high expectation on that day. Mm -hmm. But hardly any marriage goes like it's planned. Mm -hmm. and, and we run into it pretty quick, sometimes that day and sometimes it's later. But it, you're going to run into it sooner or later unless you've got your eyes closed. So you'll never understand the other person unless they choose to reveal themselves to you. And the second one is you'll never, they'll never reveal themselves to you unless they trust you. Mm. And they'll never trust you unless they know you. And they'll never know you unless you reveal yourself to them. Hmm. Which means there's a, this mutual vulnerability. That's right. That's required. Um, I would say mutual exposure in a way. You know, we were made, we were made in the garden where God <laughs> did this very tender thing and created this wonderful place for us so he could be with us and we could be with him. And it, was, and, and it was marked out by being exposed, naked and unashamed. Nothing hidden, everything known. And I, I think it was probably a fierce learning context, unencumbered by sin. Well, we're encumbered by sin. And so it makes our, our communities, our connections, all that more difficult. And like you said, if we don't have enough time and space for this, we can stay shriveled for our whole lives. Mm. And a lot of people do. They stay empty and don't take the risk of being in a relationship. Don't take the risk of being known. Don't take the risk of being loved. And as a counselor, I've learned over years that for, for a while I thought, oh boy, here comes a, wow, that person's crazy. I don't, I am really <laughs> Counselors say, think that? Yeah, well, of course I do. <laughs> you just don't put it in your record. You yeah. <laughs> but, but then you go, then you begin to listen, and if you're willing to listen, what you'll find out is no person on the planet has an uninteresting story. Mm. Nobody does. And you can see the marks of God in it if you listen. Mm -hmm. Well, but that's really hard to do, and that's a, that's a discipline or a practice, if you will, mm -hmm. of not only listening to God, but listening to ourselves and listening to others. So... I want to go back to what you said. Uh, you went through those four questions. You know, you, we need to hear from somebody else, but we, it's like this, 
I, do we oftentimes think or wait for somebody to go first? Yes. Like, oh, when you share, then I'll share. But then they're thinking the same thing, and then we don't get anywhere. So um, I think you and I have talked about how too often we think of relationships as transactional. That's right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think most of... most Like, you give me something, I'll give you something. Most of the algorithms that have come out of the, the research that done, and it's... It's recent research because social media is recent, so in the last 10 years or so. But almost all of our connectedness through social media is transactional. Uh, to, to be connected to somebody is a whole, it's, it's in a whole different arena. It allows you to get at what you value and access what you want. And maybe one of the most difficult things in all of this is for any of us to traverse the terrain of our own desires, what I want, what I hope for. Most of us want to be loved, but we can't say it straight, so we say it sideways, or we can't, we can't get at the emotional side of it and, because it makes us feel too vulnerable, and so we pull back, like you say, and we wait for the other person. Instead of taking the risks in, in, a, in a moderately safe place, you know, I don't think relationships are safe, frankly. Mm. And, and I, I, I say that carefully. I mean, not in an abusive sense. That's not the kind of safety I'm talking about. The kind of safety I think we go for a lot of times is not to be known mm. and not to take that risk of exposure. And so if you think about God made us to be in that place, and we are going to find the most joy when we function closest to how he designed. So would you say maybe that a way to describe relationships aren't safe. Um, of course, understanding not like, oh, it's abusive and toxic, and so just be okay with it. But you're talking about that, that relationships, inherent in good relationships is hurt. You think that's, that, right. is that yeah. true? It's some kind of betrayal, some kind of misunderstanding, some kind of I've misread you, etc. Uh, I think God loves us, and I think that's the hard part for us to receive, because we think how could he possibly love us? Mm -hmm. How could he possibly do that? And to me, that's the miracle of the message of grace. Mm -hmm. Grace is not merited by definition. And so uh, he's accepting us and he forgives us. How can we not turn around and forgive others? Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, in the Lord's Prayer. You know, the, He said, you, you need to do this on the basis that it's been done to you so that you can minister Christ to another person. And, but you have to receive that. And I think a lot of times we receive it intellectually, but not emotionally, mm. or spiritually, or internally, or whatever word you want to use. And the things that stand in the way are things you've already mentioned. Maybe I come out of a broken home, or, a, or an abusive background, or why would I trust again? And good question, why would you? Well, you can't unless you, you begin to marinate, I guess would be a good word, in the grace of God, in mm -hmm. the total gift that he gives you, that, that he says, I, I choose you, mm -hmm. you know, I want you to be whole, I want you to experience life fully, and, and it's not about context or situation or whether you're rich or poor or healthy or, I mean, physically healthy or not, or where you live, et cetera. You've got to have a theology that fits the world as it is, which includes war zones as well as abundance. And I think, I think somewhere along that whole continuum, 
He keeps drawing us into relationship with other people because we have something to offer. Which, so you've talked about forgiveness. Um, two keys of life-giving community. Uh, you've mentioned one already, and that's forgiveness. But you've said to me there's another one. <laughs> there's two, um, which is celebration. Right. So talk about that. Talk about celebration and then talk about how forgiveness and celebration go together. Okay. I, I think you, you celebrate somebody when you, when you embrace them, when you accept them. And you, excel, you celebrate their gift, their giftedness. You delight in them that way. Not their production, mm. but their giftedness, their, their being, their personality, their character, their, their, their soul, the thing Christ died for. He didn't die for our craziness. He died for our, who he made us to be. Mm. And I think when, I, when I, I, I can't get at that if, I'm, if I think, wow, you're irritating or, you know. <laughs> fix that or be different or I want to be in a group that's all like me or something, right? Something that avoid this tumultuousness of this. Uh, the very best group I've ever been in uh, was intense. I'm intense. I guess maybe that's why I like it. We, <laughs> we would have these three or four hour conversations after dinner that were just, you were just exhausted when you were done, but you were thrilled because mm -hmm. they were stimulating and exciting. Out of that group, uh, I have two major betrayals. Hmm. Never would have expected it. Still living with them today. Uh, still struggling with how to forgive. Well, it hurts, right? And I, but it was worth being vulnerable. Hmm. I know more about me. I know more about them. I now more sad than I've ever been. So all those things come to the surface when I'm engaged in that relationship crucible, if you will. And uh, I'm, I want to use the word crucible because I think that's exactly what a city group should be. It should be a crucible. Crucible is designed to purify. Mm. And it turns up the heat, though. Mm -hmm. That's the only way it works. And I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. so, so when we forgive people for not being God, not <laughs> giving us what we want them to give, but what, which should drive us to God, sure. to give us what he alone can give us, his delight, then we, then we have the ability, or maybe the better ability, to celebrate. Is that yes, yeah. accurate? Right. Together we can celebrate what each brings. You know, some people, uh, some people bring service. I had a guy on an elder board one time that was, every time, every time there was a risk that came up, he would vote no. Smart guy. He actually had two doctorates in, uh, well, he had two, two doctorates, one from MIT in math, and I, it was way out of my league. And so, but I, I couldn't figure out why every time we were going to take some kind of a risk and we would pray about it, et cetera, he would say no. So I went out to breakfast with him and we had a long conversation about it. And he said, you're right. He said, I'm just, I'm not cut out probably to do this. He wound up being like on your lift team, he would have run it. And he was phenomenal at greeting and embracing people and serving. And it just, it, he just was in the wrong place mm -hmm. because he, we're not designed to be everything. And, and when he was in that place, he served the church and he served himself and he served his own family and he served the Lord he was following. All of those things shifted and they shifted because he, in community, 
had been exposed in this one job and then was open enough and humble enough mm -hmm. to learn and say, you're right, I am standing in the way of where you're going vision-wise. I'm in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. It was So, which nice. means then that the, the, it, the group that we're in, the community of people that we find ourselves in, we, we will dis be disappointed if we go to them to give us what only God can give Bunch us. Bunch of expectations, right. So we set our expectations right. So what? So then we go to receive an element of delight from others because it's not like, well, I don't care what you say about me. <laughs> so we experience that, but maybe a better expectation then for, which leads to celebration, better expectation of what a group provides is what? Well, it provides a sense of belonging. It's, it, mm -hmm. it, gets, it, it allows you to take your individual belonging to, to God and share it in a group where you can experience uh, belonging in a greater way. Uh, sociology says uh, the closer we live in proximity to one another, the harder it is to connect. Hmm. So man's not designed to live in cities, and that's where the transactions come in. We do transactions and call them connections. Connections take time, and they, they, it's like some kinds of glue dry slowly and some real fast. Well, the, Connection glue dries slowly, and it should. So it takes effort and it takes energy to do that. And I would just, I would just say, you've got to have space, and that's what the discipline or the practice is, is to give us space, space for God to work in our lives and space for God to work in our lives so that we can, and if we don't have that space, we're, we're fooling ourselves at some level because the connection can't just happen. In a marriage, for example, uh, you can't be married and then not spend any time working on it. It just won't flourish. And why would you get married anyway, you know, if that's the case? So I just think we have to have, we have to recognize that our culture takes that space away and fills it with something. And you're talking about that when you're talking about hurry and some of the things you've already started talking about. And I know you're going to trip on some more here. Yeah. But, but if we can remember that those are the things that uh, are, are barriers or impediments to our being able to connect with other people, and sometimes you can go a lifetime without decent connections. I often say if you can have a, a couple intimate connections over a lifetime, you're pretty rich. Mm -hmm. because, because the culture doesn't want you to have that. It makes you too strong. And it's hard. Uh, you're a threat then to cultural context, if you will. Uh, and that's what love should be. It should be a threat, if you will, mm -hmm. to the false view of love and grace and joy. And then we can truly celebrate life. Savor it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I, one of the things I hear and would love to just kind of wrap and land with is that that means then that community, true community, like you're describing, where we're living out of delight from God, we're delighting in one another, we're celebrating one another rather than trying to sh change one another, but allowing the Holy Spirit to work through that container of community, is that community becomes resistance. Community becomes a declaration. That's right. Community becomes a statement. It's not only internal, but it's external. It's why Jesus says, people will know that you are my followers by how you love one another. So uh, as we end today and as we end every message, I end with a weekly practice.
And the weekly practice is simple. Join a city group (laughs) or invite someone to join yours. In other words, we together as followers of Jesus want to be in community. Uh, HUD, you just mentioned something. just takes time. I read a study just recently that it takes 200 hours to go from acquaintance to good friend. 200 hours. So the, the question is, how many hours are you logging? You know, sometimes we think, I did 10 hours. Where's my deep friends? Well, you got 190 to go. And of course, it's not just being around people. There's additional steps to that. There's vulnerability and what we do with those 200 hours. But let's start today. For some of you, it's starting. For some of you, maybe you're new to the area and you're starting over, it feels like. Proximity matters. Uh, For others of you, maybe you've been hurt in community and and you're like, "Ah, I don't know. But I loved what you said. Had some of the one of my most amazing groups was one of, also potentially one of the most painful groups. That's exactly right. But C.S. Lewis says, better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. And so may we be people that are willing to step into the unknown of what happens and the risk of community in order to be the people that God's called us to be and to shine to the world what God wants to communicate through his people. So um, I just want to land with not just the weekly practice, but I want to take a moment and pray for all of us. Um, Maybe for some of you, you're in a place where um, it's going to take great courage to step into community. For others of you, God is calling you to take the courageous step to step into community with Jesus. Jesus is and will be faithful. He will not and cannot betray. He's closer than a friend that we could ever have. And for some of you, it's for the first time or for the first time in a long time to step into that relationship and to know Jesus. If that's you, would you just, under your breath, say, Jesus, I give you my life. And that begins a relationship of walking with faithful friend that will delight in you in the way that only God can. And so maybe as a close, would you close us in prayer? And um, before we close up and wrap up our gathering and we jump into city groups. You bet. Father, help us to listen carefully to your word that tells us that with blessing there will be pain. With tribulation there will be life. With mourning there will be dancing. Help us not to just try to choose one of those, but to embrace the word and and realize that if we're going to grow and if we're going to flourish and if we're going to taste and see that you're good and if we're going to savor life in all of its dimensionality and its beauty, that the only way we can have that or be there is to walk through the messiness that is a relationship. And I pray that we'll take the risk, continue to take the risk, not give up taking the risk, not be discouraged, not lose heart, not grow weary. Lean into and trust that you will both uh, meet us there and that you will uh, allow us to experience the very same thing you experience, which is delight in knowing one another. Thank you for this morning and thank you for the freedom we have to know your son who alone 
gives us the grace we need to access the joy we're designed to live out of. For your glory, we praise this. In Jesus' name.